0: like so interesting to just sit here and be surrounded by the fruits and products of her labor and you think about like literal labor right like she's had these children and these children have branched out and become these mega forces like when you see the collective power of their images literally on the stacks of magazine that surround it's beyond all the case all the case I'm Janet Mock, and this is the finale of the first season of Never Before. I'm sitting in the office of my guest, Chris Jenner. She's the matriarch of one of pop culture's most visible and influential families, the Kardashians. She's also the executive producer of the reality show that stars her family, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which just celebrated its 10th anniversary. Chris was still with her glam squad when I arrived, so I had some time to look around, be nosy as hell, in her iconic office. I believe that's a golden globe on her fireplace mantle. (laughs) In her CEO, Placard, her name Placard says, I'm kind of a big deal. And the placard doesn't lie. Chris is a huge deal. She is the ultimate momager, a mother who also manages all of her children's careers. And for those of you who haven't logged into the internet for the past 15 years, I'll outline the whole family for you. There's Courtney, Kim-Chloe and Rob from Chris's first husband, Robert Kardashian, the attorney from the O.J. Simpson trial. And then there's the next generation, Kendall and Kylie Jenner from Chris's second spouse, Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, and the Hermes chairs that we're sitting in have to be blanketed because they're very expensive and cream. They look like little lambs. Mm -hmm. Chris had two Hermes lambs, Hermes lambs. (laughs) Hermes, (laughs) Hermes, <laughs> And let me tell you, Hermes chairs were just the tip of the glamour iceberg. Chris's home in Hidden Hills, California is all sleek luxury. I can report that having used the guest bathroom, it is notoriously all black. Mm-hmm. The toilet paper is black. I've used the black toilet paper and I found the mysterious button to flush on the very black fancy toilet. It's also, like, a signed Michael Jackson thriller time cover from the 1980s. So maybe there's a link there. Or maybe it's just because Michael was king. But what's the connection? Just being a fan? I think I found my icebreaker. And that's when Chris walked into the room. One thing that I noticed just walking into your, your office space is it communicates two loves of your lives. In my just brain of things. It's your daughters. Yes. Your children. Yes. And Michael Jackson
1: on the mantle? (laughs) What's that story behind the time cover? Well, first of all, I'm obsessed with Michael Jackson and the whole family. And um, my son-in-law, Scott, who I call my son-in-law, for Christmas gave me that. And it's a collaboration of Time Magazine meets Andy Warhol. So it's actually a piece of art, and it's signed by Andy Warhol. And it was his painting of Michael on the cover of Time. Mm. So it's about these two amazing, iconic pop culture phenomenons, and they collide on one cover.
0: And it speaks to such a beautiful insight into you, right? You you're, <laughs> you, said you love the Jacksons, right? Uh-huh, As a I family, do. you have I a do. family business in that same sense. Yes. And then Warhol notoriously talked about the sense of everyone going to have that 15 minutes of fame. That's right. Right. And so like, we all will have these moments in the sun to burn bright, but what you've done so powerfully and what's so influential about you is that you've been able to turn your love of your family into brands. What would Well I what turned
1: would... my fifteen minutes into thirty <laughs> somehow. I think I just added another few minutes onto that. You well know. thirteen seasons of any
0: television show, period.
1: Well I remember listen, I'm really proud of my kids and I think, you know, to celebrate that is is powerful. I remember the first time one of my producers from Buna Murray, who's our production company, they called Jeff called and he said Congratulations, you've just done more episodes than I Love Lucy. Wow. And I was like, what? I mean, that was like because I love Lucy. I grew up on I Love Lucy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was certainly an accomplishment to be able to do something that was entertaining and that was such a big production and so amazing. And, you know, and a family sitcom. Well, exactly. I mean, some people will say, oh, they're just famous, you know, they're famous for being famous. Mm. Well, no, we're famous because we've had maybe eight or nine television shows on the air, Mm -hmm. uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, along with all the various spinoffs and all the various cities and you know, Miami,
0: New York city.
1: Yeah. Miami, New York city, the Hamptons, Paris, wedding specials, junk in the trunk, you know, blooper special. I mean, there's so many things that we've done aside from just keeping up with the Kardashians, but I'm really proud of the franchise that we've built. And I think that it takes a lot of perseverance and work ethic and time. And I don't think anybody really understands what it goes into to really produce, build, create and film a television show in front for it. Yeah. And, and be out there. And then you have to, it's the, it's promoting it and it's all the social media that goes along with it and all the appearances and interviews and travel and, you know, and I think what I'm most proud of is not only does it give me and my family a chance to work together and to be in each other's lives every single day and be, you know, so close that we, you know, we're each other's support system, but we also are able to, by the grace of God, employ hundreds of people. Mm. I mean, when you think about it, it's, you know, our entire crew and the production company and the glam squad and hair and makeup and catering, and it just goes on and on and on. So I'm proud of that, that we're able to allow other people to better their own lives
0: What I also find interesting is a sense of there's a dismissiveness of the work that's put in to make this happen. Like it just doesn't, it's not accidental. You know, you didn't go to business school, right? But there was instincts that you must have had that Uh to make and help shape. And you were surrounded, literally surrounded by the images of your daughters on some of the magazines that... People would dream of being on anyone in any in the top of their industries, and so thinking about that, what training did you have before coming to this? Was it just all instinctual and living in Los Angeles? Well, I
1: got married to Robert Kardashian when I was twenty-two years old, and everybody that I was surrounded with for two decades were at the top of their game in the entertainment business. It was the head of every studio or, you know, the the people that were running the most incredible industries and watching, you know, Irving Azoff decide to build an amphitheater mm. somewhere. You know, he was a, one of the biggest music managers in the world. And I would be able to get a front row seat and how he orchestrated his entire organization and the same with the best attorneys in the world mm. and the best studio executives in the world and the best these were all the people that were our friends and that we mm. saw every single weekend you know in the backyard playing tennis and barbecues but also intimately going on vacations with a lot of these families and when I had Courtney and Kimberly and Chloe and Robert and had all these kids and they had their kids. Mm. So you know those were some of the relationships that are the closest and best of my life. But at the same time, they taught me the most and I didn't even realize it at the time. Mm. So I would be at the dinner table at the Azov's house and listen to him create an Eagles tour. Or I would be at the Batman premiere the very first one, because Terry Semmel and Bob Daly invited us to come and and watching my husband be the biggest kick-ass attorney that I'd ever seen. And I was so proud of him doing that. So I learned a lot along the way. And then when I met and married Bruce Jenner, I became his manager instantly because nobody was booking him on speeches. Nobody was sending him out on the road. And I thought, wow, you know, you should be this incredible public speaker. And I just figured it out.
0: What does that figuring out looks like? Are you you creating press kits and pitching speaking
1: agencies or bureaus? Exactly. So what I did was my assistant, Lisa, I'll never forget it. And I said, okay, listen, we have the greatest guy here and he really knows his craft and he's really good at what he does, but he doesn't have anybody doing anything for him. And he's completely... You know, doesn't have a lot going on. He has like two hundred dollars in the bank. Mm. So, what are we going to do? Because the kids have to eat.
0: How are you able? Because I know that there was a divorcing your first husband, uh-huh. leaving that relationship. I remember reading about the credit cards being frozen and you not having much income. I'm assuming at that time, because right. you, you spent so much of your time raising and building a family. Right. You choose a partner has two hundred dollars in the That's account. Right. What,
1: wait, well, what? it didn't look so good on paper. So was it love? What didn't, it love? Well, yeah, I fell in love with him. Mm. 150%. And I've always looked at things like, we're just going to figure this out. Like, I don't stop and think about, what's the plan here? You know, I just went for it. And I realized after we got married and I had a limited amount of money and I said, okay, we're going to move into this house and we're going to, you know, work hard. So my assistant and I literally decided he didn't have a business card. He didn't have a bio. He didn't have a press, nothing. And there was no internet that I, you know, that I used or knew about. Mm. I mean, I had a cell phone the size of a brick. That's what (laughs) I, you know, and a typewriter and an old fashioned Rolodex thing on a spindle. I had two big, huge ones. And I remember thinking, okay, Lisa, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get every fabulous picture of Bruce Jenner. We're going to do a photo shoot. And I had a friend take photos. And I had another woman I know make a sizzle reel that we could use as a intro to his speech. I sort of produced You were producing already. Yes. So I think I spent my last dime, I'm not even kidding, making these beautiful, glossy, press kit folders and took every great article that had ever been in sports illustrated and, you know, any, you know, really beautiful magazine. And I started making copies. So I bought a big, I convinced somebody to give me this big, huge Xerox, like office printer, that (laughs) copy machine. And I think I, I asked Xerox to do it for me. And I said, you know, When the Olympics roll around, I won't forget you, night after night until, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, we made copies. We put together like 7,000 press kits, and we mailed them to every speakers bureau in the United States. And then we sat back, and we waited for the phone to ring. Now, I wrote a letter, but I had to type every letter. It wasn't like, you know, it it was a couple years before we started Mm -hmm. just printing it off the computer. And I just held my breath and the phone started to ring and little by little we started booking these speeches for visa and just different companies that were you know coca-cola started booking him i remember sitting with doug ivester the head of coca-cola president of coca-cola at the olympics and thinking wow we've really come a long way the team portion of it is, is powerful.
0: Cause I feel like oftentimes when, you know, there's one person that's fronting, right? There's the star and then there's the person behind them. That's, you know, I, I, let me speak, you know, my husband, he's, he's the one that, feeds me, buys the groceries, walks the dog, counsels me, helps me run through lines or, you know, <laughs> questions, you know, all this work that no one sees that's so yes. much a part of the investment. But when you're in a relationship, you're not taking anything from that. You're benefiting from just like the pride and the joy and da da da
1: right. but hearing you speak about this for the first time, mm-hmm. it to me it makes sense. You know, a strong woman doesn't just get there because she woke up one day and she mm-hmm. was strong. You know, a strong woman is it's almost earned, you know, you go through a series of events in your life that make you stronger each time. And if you can keep getting up and dusting yourself off, it's very rewarding. That was an extremely rewarding time for me because I used to go to bed at night and lay down and put my head on the pillow and think that day was so satisfying Mm. that at the end of the day, I was able to feed my kids and send them to the school they had been going to. And, and be able to get them what they, you know, wanted. And, and, you know, there was, you know, soccer teams and brownies Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything that little girls and, and a son who wanted to run track. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, it was all about their dreams. But then in the meantime, I had to figure out a way how to pay the mortgage and, you know, the car payments and all that kind of stuff. It was very scary at first, because I realized that, I was responsible for these kids. You know, they had their dad and everything, which was great, but they were living a lo- most of the time with me mm-hmm. and I had to figure it out. So I, I, I did. <laughs> Thank God. By the grace of God, I did. Just never gave up.
0: You created your own business school just through the friends you had around you. Then leads to Kim's emergence. hmm and her prominence in in culture. And what were the initial goals between you and Kim when you were having these conversations about what she wanted to build?
1: Well, Kim got so much attention in the very beginning for not the greatest reason, you know, and that was doing what we all do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just being a, a, a silly kid. And she had so many things that she wanted to do with her life. And so we sat down, as we do every year, and I do with all of my kids individually, and say, you know, what is your goal for the year? What are your dreams? How high do you want to set the bar? What is it that is on your bucket list? You know, And so going through a series of questions and really trying to figure out what was realistic Mm -hmm. and what I could help them accomplish from my end. And then they can take it away and, and fly. And I think the first thing that Kim wanted to do was do a fragrance. I didn't know that much about social media mm. and the emergence of all of that. And she embraced it and sort of handled it like no other. She really knew um, how to talk to her fans and was so excited mm. that she had that that conversation with them. She really had a heart for what they thought, how they felt about her, the conversation. And she engaged and really, you know, wanted to be a part of that moment. And so I remember when she said, okay, I want to do a fragrance. And so we made that all happen. And, and that felt tangible to you at the time? It did. I just yeah. thought, you know, the sky's the limit. And if my motto in life has always been, if somebody says, no, you're talking to the wrong person. Mm. So, you know, we went out, I figured out fragrance. She, you know, we together figured out fragrance. And when it came time for her to choose her bottle, we were in the development stage. The juice was done. You know, she, she knew the shape of the bottle. She got it all together and she was kind of stuck with color and it was going to be a black bottle with a pink trim. And it was either dark pink or light pink. And one day she just puts it up on Twitter and says, Hey guys, what do you think? She's
0: got her focus this color right
1: or that color. And I said, you are a genius. <laughs> That's really the moment that I would have to say, I learned some boundaries about when to jump in too much with my kids and their, you know, our mm-hmm. businesses, because we work together on all of the things we do. But there's a moment when mom has to step back, manager has to be there, but let my daughter slash client in some Mm. cases do her thing and not be too overbearing and let each one of them have their own creativity. And I can be in the background and do the business deals, but let them do their thing and be the face of their own dreams. Mm. And so how that, that,
0: balance that you've, I'm assuming you've discovered just through experience between the line of, of mother and manager. And so when something controversial or scary or happens in mm-hmm. the family or with one of your client slash children or children <laughs> slash client. I, yeah. I would assume it yeah, is
1: wear a lot of hats for sure.
0: How are you crisis managing that piece of taking care of your child, but then at the same time, knowing that it's a part of the narrative of a show that you control and produce. Right. And then also the,
1: in the real time of the public facing piece of it. Mom comes first. Always. I'm always their mom first. Always. Whether that's good or bad, that's just who I am. Because I love them so much and so hard that their well-being, their happiness, their health, their safety, I'll drop anything that comes first. So I think that being said, you know, I can be very stubborn (laughs) and a little controlling at times, (laughs) which I always, you know, admit because it's just who I am. It makes me, my makes me me. But I've also learned how to be quite strategic and smart about learning that, it does take a village and we've developed such an amazing team. And as part of that team, it was really important to me to put together some of the best crisis control managers and public relations people and attorneys. And just, you know, I, I learn something new every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think when you stop learning, that's, not a good thing. It's not good for me. I like to be stimulated, but I also like to be able to step back and take a look at something and say, okay, these things need to be in place before, you know, anything else can happen Mm -hmm. so that if something does happen, everybody can jump into action and I can worry about my kids as their mom and be there for them hook, line and sinker. Like, you know, I can be the best mom I can be if I know that everything else is being taken care of. So I think that's one of the things that I'm most thrilled about these last couple of years is we have a really great team in place.
0: It's having a great self-awareness to know that when you need to fill in the gaps of who can come in and help, do this part, because this is not what I'm skilled at doing. Exactly.
1: You have to know your limitations. And sometimes if I'm emotional about something, it's better for... Judy Smith to step mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. or for Ina to step in, or for Carrie to step in, you know, just the different teams. Mm-hmm. Everybody has such a great support system. And that's what they're here for, is to help help me help them, you know? Yeah. It is something that I've gained a certain amount of knowledge of along the way that's really helped me help my kids. And you have to say, okay, I'd love to run this show completely, but I need to take my ego out of it. And I need to make sure that everybody's best interests, you know, is met at all times so that you do have somebody on standby if something goes awry. And a lot of times it it is me, Mm. but you know, you have to really think about it. And then when somebody else needs to come in and step in that they're right there. Were you always as confident? Like I know you describe yourself as a control
0: freak and that's (laughs) a part of the ongoing kind of like your character on, on the show. Well,
1: I think it's not just the ongoing character. I think people on social media can be very mean, Mm. you know, so you say it once and you're kind of like, huh, I'm such a, you know, like being silly. I like my world in order Mm. and I like everything a certain way. And you know, when you're 61 years old and you've lived a certain way your whole life. It's hard to change. And I've been so blessed in my life to be able to kind of run my world the way that I want. Mm-hmm. And I I look at myself as being <laughs> completely organized at all times. You wouldn't know it from that desk right there, but I really organized. <laughs> I really I really take great joy in in having my my house in order. My house means a lot to me. It's mm-hmm. like my my safe place. Mm-hmm. So I like everything the way I like it. It makes me really happy to be able to have a place where my kids come to every weekend. And when you see me, I mean, we're completely ourselves on our show. Mm-hmm. We don't have scripts. Mm-hmm. We don't even, I'm shooting this afternoon. I don't even know what, you know, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring or what this afternoon mm-hmm. is going to bring. But I do know that I have kind of a very sarcastic, dry, witty sense of humor. Mm. And I think that at first people didn't get that, you know, side of my personality. Cause I'll say things meaning like, I think I'm hysterical and <laughs> apparently I'm not. So I, my side job will not be a comedian. I will not be going on tour, but I think people took that in such a literal Mm. way in the beginning. So then I became this, um, control freak in a bad way Mm. when it could be a very positive thing to learn from. I mean, Mm. 90% of the people are so amazing and kind and, you know, good and can learn and, and they appreciate, Mm -hmm. you know, what we put out there into the universe. But then there's that, Small percentage that has to be, you know, the hater. And how much do you pay attention
0: to that small percentage? Because my biggest, my biggest challenge is always like, you know, a hundred people can say a million nice things, and then the one person that says the fucked up thing, I yeah. am just like distraught and angry. And or do you, have you built up a resolve where it's you don't even pay attention?
1: Well, I started out by saying to my family, "Don't." I mean, day one, week one, when we started filming, and I, I was new to the internet. I mean, to social media. Mm. And I said to everybody, listen, I'm new to social media. You guys just don't read it. Don't look at it. It's ugly. You know, It's they say ugly things about everybody. It's not just you. Mm. I mean, they hate on the nicest people that I know personally really well. And they will build you into a character that you're not. Mm. So don't read it. And then, you know, inevitably, you're going to see this or that. So I'll be on my feed thinking, I've just, you know said the nicest thing, or I've just, you know, donated a bunch of money to a children's charity, or I've done, you know, like you Mm -hmm. pat yourself on the back Mm -hmm. and you don't really shut it from the rooftops, but you'll say something silly or want to share something on social media. And what I get back is a lot of love and it'll be, Oh, Chris, you know, you, you know, such nice things, or, you know, you're an inspiration, or I've learned so much from you this week, or I love the episode or whatever it may be. And then you get one person going. You're such a cunt. <laughs> you're, you're so ugly. You're fat. Your nose looks mm. like you know. I've never had a nose job in my life, but you know, for a while, for years, it was like, look at her nose job. And I'm like, what nose? Jo-? Please, I, you know, I and like also, my cute little nose. If, but if
0: you watched this the series, you'd know that if you had gotten a nose, you would go. Oh, and honey, show that. I would
1: be shouting it from the rooftops on camera, and then asking who likes my nose. <laughs> But um that you know that's why my personality mm-hmm. is silly and playful mm-hmm. and then I early on got squared off into this cage of control freak but when you read those one or two comments when somebody really punches you down and I even know I know that it's probably a 15 year old you know mm-hmm. in Iowa who is very angry at the world or at life or, you know, Mm. maybe can't, you know, find their way in Mm. life or just lost somebody that they love. Mm. And, you know, I try to imagine myself in a position like that and think I would never say anything ugly to anybody because I was raised that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mm. I mean, my grandmother sort of drilled that into me when I was very young, how to be kind to people. So I raised my kids, God first, family second, and everything else is a blessing. Mm. Just be grateful and praise God for the things that you have and then share with others.
0: And those lessons have translated through the the ups and the downs and the generations, it seems. Yeah.
1: So I think that, you know, I try to ignore the haters because... They know not what they say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but how do, you, just how how do you a counsel little... like see someone like Kylie,
0: who is a, a digital native? Right, mm-hmm. her generation mm-hmm. has grown up with these tools, with this access, mm-hmm. and it's so a part of the reason why I believe that she's going to be the most famous out of all of you, the most successful, yes. is because of that nativeness. of She gets Snapchat more than anyone gets Snapchat because she is Snapchat was built for her. Right, that sensitivity is around blocking those things out how do you protect your children mm-hmm. in this public space
1: well i think that you can use it two ways you can use the comments and the negative space that comes along with it to grow you know she she's so good at having a filter she knows what to edit mm-hmm. out and use to grow Mm. and I've learned that from Kylie like I'll say why are you even paying attention to that she goes because I I love my fans and I want to know what they have to say and that's very helpful and then she finds things out through social media and she turns around and fixes them immediately especially business-wise mm. she's found it an amazing tool you know as she's manufacturing her makeup and And developing that business because she learns a lot. She learns just like Kim did 10 years ago. Mm. She's using social media as a tool to really speak to her followers. Mm. And then, you know, I said to her last night, she was here last night. And I said, you know what, I really love how you're doing these makeup tutorials again. You know, she does them and then she takes a little break. I heard break she's the then, best makeup artist but but out of everyone. She can do her own glam very she easily. She loves her own glam. She does it most of the time Wow! because she, you know, she experiments and mm-hmm. does different looks with her makeup and she's so good at it. But the skills that she has honed just on social media and how she uses it and really listens to her followers mm-hmm. and her fans is very impressive. She's like talking to a 35 year old. I sometimes forget she's 19.
0: 19. I know. It's wild.
1: It's wild in the sense of like
0: having watched every episode and some of them to my <laughs> husband's irritation
1: twice. Tell him uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> or you're welcome. Whichever.
0: No, but he's like secretly fascinated, but he pretends that he isn't. Yeah. Um, but he loves it because he's sitting right there and he's just, like, why did she do this? Or what? You know, um, we are endlessly analyzing Courtney. I know she's a real person, but Corny. anytime Courtney cries, I'm always like, I just, I can't handle it because I like, I know it takes so much to get her to that moment. Cause most of the time she seems like, yeah, whatever, you know, like she's yeah. the least invested in my mind yes. watching it as a character. No, she kind of
1: is. <laughs> and they're not, you know, it's funny. You call them characters, but they're really just the kids. There's no character but I know about it. It's no, just what I think the public mm, has decided. Like yeah. they'll put you into a box. Like I, I remember for a couple of years, I felt like I was on the cover of a tabloid holding Mm -hmm. a martini glass. Mm -hmm. I I would be, one time we were filming our show and we were on La Brea and we were in a, like a vintage store Mm -hmm. and they had this set of martini glasses in the window and I love dishes. I'm obsessed. One of my things, my hobbies is I collect dishes and glasses. Mm -hmm. I just, my whole life since I'm 17 and that's a lot of plates, let me tell you. (laughs) So I was holding up a martini glass going, this is so cool. And I'm like, right, guys, isn't this cool? The next day, it was on the cover of, of a cheesy tabloid. And I was holding the glass, and it was full of a martini with olives, swear to God. And somebody had taken the image and just Photoshopped it. And I was making some crazy yeah. face, like, look at the you know, saying yeah. something funny. And suddenly I was drinking in the middle of the day while I was filming or some stupid So that's story. the character piece of like the so, sense of like you're an object and they just
0: manipulate you into what, what the want, story they yeah, want to whatever
1: tell. The, well, that's all the time yeah. in, or in tabloid world. But <laughs> yeah. I just think overall, you know, like with Courtney... She's one of the most sensitive, mm-hmm. and she. But she's the strongest, mm-hmm. you know, and she's the oldest and the most careful, you know, and careful and methodical, yeah. and yeah, I could go on. But I love, I love me some Courtney. And for me, it's as
0: someone watching. I said, I just wanted to make sure I'm clear about um, saying character. I mean, oh, that's in the, okay. I, I mean, in the sense of she's allowing us to see what she wants us to see in a sense of like, there's a part of her that she has to protect for herself. Like there's parts of all of you that you need to have for yourself. And so like, for me, what's interesting is like the private public piece is like something will play out in the, in real time. We'll see it. And then later on, you'll have like the Paris episode that came on and that traumatic experience that happened for your family. Yeah. But there's time and reflection. And so I'm a memoirist. So I know that you need that time and reflection to figure out what are the lessons and the, things here that we are ready to share and editorialize and say that you can have access to because there's some things that are very private that's not for your consumption right and so when I say characters I mean in that sense of like yeah this is what's for our consumption and there's a private part of this world that's this family's intimate sacred space
1: that's not for us right I know those
0: boundaries but I know a lot of people don't
1: you know I think what happens is sometimes you do shut I mean for me it's like you know when people didn't get that most of the time, I mean, if I'm not in work mode, I'm crazy, silly, nutty Chris, Mm -hmm. and they weren't getting, you know, they wanted me to be, they decided for me who I was Mm -hmm. and that was their opinion. So then at some point after a couple of years, I'm just like, Oh, forget it. You know, I'll just, they can think whatever they want. Mm -hmm. You can't make somebody see your true heart or you're, you know, the way you are. Is that unless, a desire for
0: you? Do you want them to
1: see this? I, I just, I mean, it would be nice if they, you know, like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I've i kind of gotten past that. At first mm-hmm. I really did. I'm like, well, what? I, like, I can't believe somebody just said that about me. And somebody will say, you know, give it up old bag. You know, you're 60. Hmm. And I, and I'll sit there thinking, wow, what's the, I mean, isn't that the gift is to live this wonderful Huge, big, amazing, joyful life. It's such a blessing. And these are people that are probably, you know, 14 years old thinking, well, you know. Well, ageism and, yeah, uh, and right. sexism will do that to people too. <laughs> right. But it's just, I, I just, I still, maybe till the day I die, I'll never get over how people can be so mm. hateful, you know, for no reason. Like there's really a lot of stuff going on in the world that's so... Mm hateful and horrible. Like you have to get on Instagram and add to that in the universe. I just, I'm always sort of amazed, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. past it. I mean, I'm very confident in in who I am. And I'm also very busy. The
0: last time, and I'm just editorializing here. The last time you were alone was when you were a flight attendant.
1: Was that when you were just like, <laughs> <laughs> you had two years alone after high school? I think I've had probably two <laughs> years alone in my whole life. And then I had I don't know, 300 passengers in the back of a plane. So I don't think I was really alone. I don't, I don't get to spend a lot of time alone. Just when I think I've arrived at being alone for a minute, they're all right back where Mm. we started. So, but I mean, that's the joy. That's what you pray for, Mm. you know, but, um, it's something that I crave my privacy. It's like the
0: ultimate luxury now. Don't you think? Privacy.
1: Oh, for sure! I never you thought really I would it? crave it so much. Yeah, but you have to create a space
0: to make it. Um, so, what do you want to accomplish that you haven't yet accomplished?
1: I for, think Chris. for Chris for Chris. Oh my gosh! Well, I think I love filming my show, but I think I'm happiest making sure the girls are settled and 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 good. I like like watching them thrive and shine and do the things that they love to do, makes me really happy. And if I can be, you know, helpful on the back end and kind of behind the scenes and make sure everything goes well and that they have the right people in place Mm -hmm. and they're working with best of class, then that makes me happy.
0: You are in a new phase in your life now. Finally an empty nest.
1: Yes. Uh. (laughs) It wasn't an empty nest here all weekend long. (laughs) Or last night, or, I mean, they keep coming back. (laughs) No, I called my, I called uh, Kendall and Kylie yesterday and I said, you know what makes mommy, they call me mommy. Do you know what makes mommy feel good? And they're like, what? And I said, the fact that you guys have your own homes and you live on different sides of the city and you have big lives and you're always traveling, Mm -hmm. but yet here you are all the time,
0: you know, even when
1: we're not working or filming, they're, right here. Mm. That's a really, really, really big blessing for me because I think, wow, you know, I must've done something right for them to want to just be here. It's really something. And, you know, Kim and I were talking this morning and we're having a sleepover tonight and that's, you know, Mm -hmm. she's 36 years old Mm -hmm. and she's got two kids and a fabulous husband and you know, I thought this morning when I was getting dressed, I thought, that's really cool. We're having a sleepover mm. just because we want to.
0: <laughs> that's special.
1: It's kind of, it's kind of amazing.
0: But that does come through that sense of love and family first. Just that's the thread that I think from your mother and her mother to how you've mothered your children, that is very and they're clear. they're mothering that their kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: I mean, what you leave behind are your kids mm. and that legacy and your grandkids and, Yesterday I was going through my stuff for Easter and I came across porcelain bunnies. Kim, I loved bunnies, Mm -hmm. I guess when I was 23 and I made this big bunny room for Kim and she had a bunny bed and bunny wallpaper Mm -hmm. and, you know, bunny everything. And I got these beautiful porcelain bunnies that she had in her room, her whole, like when she was four And I gave them to North yesterday Mm. and she called me last night and said, North is so excited about the bunnies. And I said, did you tell her the story that they used to be yours when you were a little girl? And she said, yeah, she's so happy mom. So that made me happy that little things that I did for Kim when she was three or four years old, I was able to pass down to my granddaughter and it made her so happy Mm. and everybody appreciated such a silly thing, but that makes you so happy.
0: Well, that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for your time.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming and doing the interview. It's been fun.
0: Thanks to Chris. And most importantly, thanks to all of you for listening this season. We'll be back with more episodes soon. Love you. Mean it. Never Before is a product of Pineapple Street Media and Lenny Letter. It was produced by Jenna Weiss-Berman, Ricky Novetsky, Josh Gwynn, Liz Watson, and Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Lena Dunham. Special thanks to Max Linsky and Ben Cooley. Our music is by Hans Sue. Thanks so much for listening.